Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussion, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning, Kim, and everyone. My name is Kim Moody, and of course, you just heard Kenneth Kung. Welcome to another edition of our firm's podcast, Tax Breaks. And today, Kenneth, given that it's December the 2nd, 2022, as we record this, you know, tis the season, right? We got holidays coming up, we got Christmas, and we have New Year's coming up. And there's no shortage of articles uh, that that are just being flooding the media, as usual, Mm -hmm. on year-end tax planning stuff. And we're not going to talk about year-end tax planning stuff, but what we are going to talk about is... Um, tax loss selling because we get a lot of questions about that from our clients and from referral sources as year-end approaches you know should they be looking at their portfolio uh, and triggering some losses we get a lot of those right Kenneth mm-hmm. yeah if you have capital gains for example in a year and you, if you have some accrued losses in your say your portfolio may, maybe maybe it's a good idea to trigger maybe. losses maybe we, the gains. we always hesitate giving advice on whether or not they should because we're not investment advisors mm-hmm. and therefore we can't, you know, give that advice. But we certainly can comment on the tax results. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, Kenneth, uh, just to quickly summarize on all these articles that are coming out in the media, like clockwork, you know, I wrote about this in my book, Making Life Less Taxing, that I released a few years ago. I can't believe it's three years ago I wrote that already. But... Um, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that your your tax planning shouldn't happen around these regularly scheduled times mm-hmm. of year end, and you know we're going to have another flood of articles coming up here in February, March during uh, tax filing deadlines, and um, you know we we need to plan year round, right, Kenneth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and your tax advisor may also want to take. The Christmas holidays off, so you shouldn't be doing calling your tax advisors <laughs> for the last week of December. What do you mean? You want to take some holidays? Is that your uh, warm up to? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so Kenneth, I've got, you know, I, I've got a portfolio. Let's say it's. I'll just exaggerate here. Let's say it's ten million dollars, and included in that portfolio, I've got some pregnant losses. I've got some dogs in there that. And this is a non-registered portfolio. And we're going to just talk about individuals today. We're not going to talk about portfolios held by a corporation or trusts or or partnerships because the rules are a little bit different. Uh, but if we're dealing with individuals like, like me, for example, and I've got this $10 million portfolio and I've got some dogs in there that I want to see if I can somehow get rid of and, and use those losses against my gains, what do I need to think about, Kenneth? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So the first thing you want to think of is the superficial loss rule. Um, so what is a superficial loss? That's when you have a loss from a disposition. And then during a period that is 30 days before or 30 days after the disposition, um, you, the taxpayer, or a person affiliated with you acquire the same property or an identical property okay so let's say Kenneth um, you know let's say I've got 10 brokerage accounts Mm -hmm. with my 10 million dollars million dollars each yeah and I've got the dog 
in each of those 10 brokerage accounts. Uh, but I've acquired them at different times. And the one dog uh, is just really bad in brokerage account number one. And that's the one that I want to trigger a loss on. Mm. <laughs> um, so the rest of the nine accounts, you know, I've acquired them at different times. And the, I've got some gains on some of them and some losses on the other ten, or nine accounts. Does it work that way, Kenneth? Mm. No, like the tax rules don't care which brokerage account you have shares in. Um, because let's, let's, so what you have to do in, <clears throat> to determine your cost base for the, the, the stock is you need to look at the same stock across all the brokerages and your cost base in each stock is actually the average cost base for what? all the stocks combined. What? Even no. though your brokerage statement may say that your loss is bigger on this stock in brokerage one, uh, that's not really your your. Okay, but your come cost. on, Kenneth. The, my brokerage my brokerage does a really good job of calculating my average cost base on all these stocks. So, are you telling me that that's not my cost base? That is actually not your cost base, and you can't completely rely on your brokerage statement, especially when you have multiple brokerage accounts, and especially when you have in kind transfers and all that. Just on a side note, I just did an in kind transfer between brokerage accounts, and of course the cost base are all wrong. And I call up the brokerage, the bank. The bank said, oh, everyone can go in and just change your own cost base. Here's, oh, nice. here's the button. Here's how you change all your cost base of your, uh, of your, of your investment. Oh, and by the way, don't rely on it for tax. Really? That's interesting. This week. <laughs> oh, interesting. I, I haven't had that experience. But you're absolutely bang on, right? I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, I'm being facetious here because I know the rule like you do. But... You know, that's a common thing that we see uh, missed, mm -hmm. right? And accounting firms, when they do tax returns, oftentimes simply don't have the time nor the energy to go and look to see if they've got similar holdings, uh, if the client has similar holdings within different brokerage accounts. To, But if you're triggering losses, like, you know, before a year end, and you're thinking that you're going to save a bunch of tax as a result of applying those losses, I think a key thing to, to do here is to make sure that you've properly calculated your cost base and make sure that you don't have other holdings in other brokerage accounts for the same stock. Mm -hmm. Fair comment, Kenneth? Fair comment. So, so let's and, keep going then. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, so at, and again, that's 30 days rule says, if, if brokerage one sell the, the stock and you calculated your loss correctly, uh, no matter what brokerage, you can't, that go acquire that same or identical stock uh, within thirty days before or after. If if you did if you if you do that is a superficial loss, and the the loss will be denied, and the denied loss will be added to the cost base of the new acquisition within the thirty days period. On a practical basis, Kenneth, do you see the CRA reviewing this stuff and looking for this stuff and then actually denying it uh, on audit? Like, do you see that on a practical basis? On a practical basis, perhaps if the amount is more slightly more material than than a couple hundred dollars, yeah. right? On, right. On, a, on an actual audit of on the a, taxpayer, exactly. So, so unfortunately, a lot of clients may or may not even be aware of this rule and may think that the you know, they've done this for years and they can not even worry about this issue because they've never been audited, mm -hmm. right? So, but I guess we're here to say is, 
do it right so that ultimately it can sustain an audit uh, to, the, to the extent that you ever audit, which if it's a big number, higher chances you will be, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. And especially in this day and age of, you know, electronics and the ability to piece together data easier. Uh, so be careful. So let's keep going, Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to fall into the superficial loss rules. We need to make sure that we calculate our cost basis correctly. Um, look across brokerage accounts, for example. But Kenneth, I've come up with a great idea. Mm. Um, you know, I've got this this old car sitting in my garage, and I thought I'd be able to, you know, fix it up, and and I bought it for twenty five thousand dollars, and and it's been rusting in my in my garage for the last twenty years, and it's really gone down in value. It's probably worth a thousand bucks. You know, why don't I just sell that? that car for $1,000 and claim a $24,000 loss. Hmm. Okay. Can I do that? Well, of course you can choose to do that and, and pocket the $1,000 for, for, for buying... And getting it on my garage. And getting it out of your garage. <laughs> uh, but do you actually get a loss on your tax return? Well, well that's why I'm doing it, Ken. Mm-hmm. I want a $24,000 <laughs> loss. <laughs> well, the, the bad news is a loss from the disposition of any personal use property of a taxpayer is denied uh, for tax. And what is a personal use property? Well, personal use property is a property owned by you that is used primarily for your personal use or enjoyment uh, or the personal use or enjoyment of someone related to you. Did Hmm. you use that car primarily for something other than personal use or enjoyment? You know, no. <laughs> it's, it's been sitting in my garage for 25 years, Kenneth, or so, 20 years. Yeah, so, so no, unfortunately, no. So that plan no doesn't loss. work, eh? You know, that, that plan doesn't work. So what if I sell my principal residence for a loss? You know, I bought it high in the market during COVID and, uh, you know, because unexpectedly properties went up in value and, and now with higher interest rates and what have you, you know, yeah. Yeah, I want to sell it. Can can I do that and, and claim a loss? No, the same thing. It's just same used thing. primarily for your personal use. Damn it! So you're just mm-hmm. the bearer of bad news here, Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Well, what about if you? What about if you, if I have a rental property? Can I sell it to say my my wife for a loss because the fair market value actually went down? Mm, I'm guessing there's a problem with that, mm-hmm. Kenneth. Yeah, that if we are going back to this superficial loss rule. That, that I mentioned at the beginning, where within 30 days before and after, the taxpayer or a person affiliated okay, with the well, taxpayer. So the question the then property. is, what does affiliated mean? So what does affiliated mean? Are well, you and I affiliated? Kim, you and I are, are not affiliated <laughs> because we, are, we, we do not have a common law relationship or... Uh, we better not no, have no, a common law. Married. <laughs> uh, but, but yes, uh, um, so affiliated persons, when we're dealing with just individuals, natural people, uh, are just spouses and common law partners. Okay. So selling my rental property to my wife at a loss, uh, I do not get a capital loss on that. And this denied loss is added to the cost base. Uh, it added, added to her cost base of this rental property. Okay, so who else is affiliated by definition in the Income Tax Act, Kenneth? Like, can, can I sell my rental property to my son and ah, claim a loss? Interesting. As I said, between individuals, 
the only affiliated people are common law partners and spouses. So you can actually sell your rental property, which is not primarily for personal use, uh, to your son who is not an affiliated person. And assuming you don't acquire it back within 30 days, you will actually be able to claim a, a loss, which could be a part capital loss and part terminal loss, which is 100% deductible, uh, and, and use that to shelter your income for the year. Okay, so what if I don't want to make my son pay? What if I just gift the property to my son and trigger a loss? Is it the same result? Hmm. Um, on a gift, the Income Tax Act deems you to have received proceeds at fair market value. Right. So assuming the fair market value today really is at this amount way lower than your cost base, I think you do right. get a loss, but yep. not for like the entire cost of the house, but between the difference between the fair market value and, and the, cost. Uh, the cost. Yeah. Now, so it should be the same, right, Kenneth? But mm-hmm. uh, if it, as compared to an actual sale where I receive consideration like cash or a promissory note or maybe a combination of both, uh, I guess it'd be a mortgage uh, that I would take back from my from my son. But... So what, what's the downside to my son, though, either on a gift or on a sale? Hmm. Is there, you know, what, let's say I bought the property for a million dollars and it's worth $400,000 today, so I claim a $600,000 loss, whether it's a gift or whether it's an actual sale. Mm-hmm. What's the cost base for my son, though? Um, on a gift, the, the Income Tax Act deems a gift recipient to have acquired it at fair market value. So the- Whoops, sorry, Kenneth, I just dropped my phone. <laughs> so your son's cost base in, in this rental property should generally be the 400000 which which is fine because you claim a $600,000 loss, your son's cost base is four hundred dollars That's fair. And let's say you did sell it to your son for, say, a promissory note of 400000 That result should be the same. Right. Hmm. But what if... What if um, sometimes I uh, my heat when when I go to when I see clients transfer property, uh, they get the advice to oh just uh, in the con- uh, just do a uh, a sale to, um, of the property to your son for ten dollars. Well, then in that wow. case, it's not a gift; it's an actual sale for ten dollars. The income tax act deems the parent to have still receive the fair market value of 400000 So parents do still get the same $600,000 loss. But the problem is the son, because it wasn't a gift, the son's cost base of this property really is $10. Yeah, that's a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. That's a total disaster. So, And you and I have seen, you know, we've seen cases like that over the years, and it's, it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. Right, um, because often the when when you often the advice people get is uh, say, oh, a contract for it to be enforceable must have consideration. Therefore, why don't you do it at ten dollars? Right. Um, but but that's that's the problem. Uh, so what the, the correct way to do this is a depending on the province and how a gift is legally enforceable. Uh, some provinces will allow a gift, even real estate, if it is a true legally enforceable deed of gift. Right. Um, so it depends on the province. 
and and we haven't even touched on uh, like sales tax or land transfer tax. All these needs to be considered or when you're dealing GST with real estate. Or HST as yeah. well, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's probably enough for today, Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Unless you have any other, you know, pearls of wisdom on tax loss selling. I think the key here, just to summarize, is make sure that you, as I already mentioned once, I'll just repeat myself for the second time. Watch the computation of your cost base of the property that you're selling, especially when you're dealing with securities that might be held in multiple brokerage accounts. Of course, be careful about the superficial loss rule, the so-called 30-day rule. Um, Be careful about triggering losses on personally used property. It just is not that easy. Um, And it's not useful in most cases. You can trigger losses to non-affiliated persons like your son, for example, your kids. Uh, But be careful about gifts or less than uh, fair market value consideration. Um, and I think that's probably a decent mm-hmm. uh, summary. Anything yeah. else, Kenneth? No. no that's, all that's right. Good. Well, to all of our uh, listeners, have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas and all the best to you for uh, 2023. Uh, bye now. Bye-bye.